welcome to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. This podcast by Kevin Paneskis, also known as the Property Soldier, covers all aspects of serviced accommodation and how to make it a profitable and sustainable business. Kevin started investing in property in 1991 whilst serving in the British Army and now owns a multi-million pound property portfolio and serviced accommodation business and is a best-selling author. And now your host, Kevin Paneskis. Hi, Kevin, Property Soldier here, and welcome to this episode of the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. Today, I'm going to be doing a live mentoring call with Sam. I've got Sam on the line. Say hi, Sam. Hi, everyone. Hi, Sam. So, Sam Gadsby. Currently, you're in uh, Budapest. Is that correct, Sam? Yeah, I'm in sunny Budapest today. Sunny Budapest Uh, today. Cool. All right, so, uh, you know, there might be some issues on the line or something like that, but we will just, uh, you know, roll with the punches and uh, get this mentoring call done as best we can. So, Sam, you're relatively new uh, with serviced accommodation, but uh, you've currently got four units, is that correct? Yeah, so I've got um, four units in Leicestershire, kind of all started in May. Most of the, so three of the properties were by Tillets that we uh, converted to SA to kind of see how it goes. It went really well. And then we've recently taken on a fourth property, which is uh, a rent to SA, which is a three bed sleep uh, six. The rest of the properties are simple, just two up, two down, sleeps four. Um, but they've done really well in, the, in this relatively short time so far. Okay, good. So, Sam, what um, questions have you got for me? How how can I help? Yeah, so uh, we're not really operating in a city centre. The properties are in a town with um, a population of 12,000. One of the properties is in a village of 8,000. So kind of what is the max number of uh, be willing to take on in, in a smaller town or, or these? Sure, okay. And what's your occupancy like? I'd say about 80%. But recently, uh, on your recommendation, I have upped the price slightly and uh, taken a hit on the the amount of nights booked. But it's, it's worked out in my favour. I, I am making more money with, with less nights booked now. Sure. And what do you mean on my recommendation in, in terms of uh, uh, raising your price? So just um, from of my five to one hundred percent, and um, I believe you recommended if, if that's the case, your your pricing is too low. So I went on to pretty much double my price. Oh now. really? Um, and so sorry, I think you might have cut out there um, on the podcast previous episode of the podcast. Is that where you heard that advice? Exactly on on okay. on your podcast. You sure. Recommended um, moving the price up. Okay, great. Um, like I say, if, if people are 100% occupied, um, then you, you're too cheap. So uh, we do find the sweet spot to be between 70 and 80% occupancy. Obviously, if you get a really long booking, you know, three, four, five months, then clearly you're going to be 100% occupied during that period. And so that's not a problem. But on the, um, the short stays, um, you shouldn't be going above 80% occupancy because you're too cheap. If that's the case, you're going to be playing out far too much on cleaning and laundry um okay great so 
that to answer your question, Sam, your occupancy is currently good, but we, we do have to consider that um, we're in the summer months. So in the summer months, you've got people that are traveling. Um, you know, there might be some tourist attractions nearby in, in Leicestershire, etc., etc. People tend to visit family, you've got school holidays, you've got all that stuff going on in the summer months. So occupancy and demand for SA is higher in the summer months. And what I like to happen is people to have their service combination where there's also demand in the winter. And the way to get that is have your service combination where there is businesses or things going on like construction where contractors and working people need accommodation even through the the winter months. Does that make sense so far, Sam? Yeah, exactly. And so what I actually advocate to people is they they choose a town or a city with a larger population in order to be safe and secure in the knowledge that there's going to be all year round demand. Because where you are at the moment, you it's you don't really know how you're going to get on in the winter months. So there's certain things that create demand for serviced accommodation in an area. And you might be lucky in, a, in an area with a, a lower population and, and 12 to 8, you know, 8 to 12,000 is, is quite low in terms of a population density to tick enough boxes, but you might be lucky. So the certain things that create demand for service combination is a, is a quite a large town centre, lots of construction going on, some large businesses, some large employers, some large companies. If you're lucky enough to have quite a few of the, you know, hospitals, universities, things like that, if you're lucky enough to have those things in your area with a, quite a low population, then that's helpful. So um, what sort of things like that have you got going on in your area? Yeah, so I mean, some of the previous guests have been on uh, contracts with local companies. So that's some, someone that I've already had to stay there um, was long term. They were working at a KP Snacks, which is fairly local to me. And quite a lot of the guests have been um, there on business but mainly um, Monday through till Friday. The weekends have tend to have been the visiting family and visiting tourist attractions locally. So you are getting some, some corporate, um, corporate bookings, so there is corporate demand. So that's a good yeah. sign in terms of that. There's no reason why that shouldn't continue into the winter months. And just in terms of the amount of Airbnbs actually listed in the local area, it's quite low, so... Uh, I don't know, is that a good factor, is that a bad factor? Like, for instance, in the village, it's literally the only Airbnb um, listed in that village. Yeah. Um, Again, so on on that side, when people say to me, oh, there's no SAs in my area, so does that mean there's no demand, or Airbnbs in my area, so does that mean there's no demand? I just say, well, no, not necessarily. It depends on all of the the things I mentioned just now in terms of what is going to bring people to the area who will need accommodating on a short-term basis. So just because there isn't any doesn't mean there isn't demand there if you have those things in place. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I mean, the the one that's in there at the moment is a a longer-term booking. 
she's actually working in Birmingham, but what doesn't want to live in a city centre. But we're really close to the 42, so it's quite a short commute for her. I yeah. don't know whether that's to consider. Yeah, absolutely. So what I would suggest you do, Sam, is just... I wouldn't scale too quickly in that area. I'd want to see how you get on. I mean, you've just taken on a rent to SA. You've got four in, in that sort of area. I might want to just see how you get on in the winter before scaling. One of the things I say to people is that if you, are, if you choose an area and you're lucky enough, let's say you're lucky enough to be in an area of 70,000 people plus, then... I'm not going to be too concerned that that area is going to have enough demand for service accommodation um, winter and summer. If people are going to choose an area or that, you know, they're nearby to an area like that or they live in an area like that, then they're fine for yourself. Yes, I, I would just hold fire on scaling in your area at the moment. Okay. Okay. Yeah, um, is that kind of the minimum you'd set 70,000 is? Well, 70,000, if you're over 70,000, then you are absolutely fine in terms of having quite a few units, uh, you know, at least 10 in that region, okay? If you're less than 70,000, then it's just a case of highlighting or, or analysing or, or, or looking into how many things there are in that town or that city that are creating demand for service accommodation. And if you're, tick, you know, clearly it's going to have a decent-sized town centre, then you're looking at industry. You're, you can Google largest employers in your town, city. It, how many hospitals? How many universities? Uh, what big business is there? Seventy thousand plus normally ticks all the boxes. Um, if it's less than that, then you just need to see whether or not it's got enough uh, things ticking those boxes. Okay. So for you, um, it's quite a small um, population size. And it, yes, you do. I mean, I think you mentioned KP. This, that's obviously what a, a tick box. Um, what other things have you got there? I, I might be tempted to wait before scaling and to see uh, what happens um, in the winter months. Yeah, that, that was like my main question because I've got the opportunity to take on more rental properties that are turned into SA, but I, I'm just a bit hesitant as to is this too good at the moment? Should I just hold fire and see how I get on with these four before moving forward? Yeah. I mean, another good thing that you might do um, is to approach Silverdor. Have you heard of those? Okay. Uh, approach um, Silverdor. And so an awful lot of companies, they will go to Silverdor and Situ and they'll essentially use those people as, as a broker and they will say, look, we need, let's say they say we need um, accommodation for our employees in Leicestershire. Leicester, you know, um, have you got any units there? Okay, so if you approach those guys and ask them if there's demand in your area, if they get any inquiries in your area, because that could be a good steer, because if they say yes, we could definitely use you if, if you had some units listed with us, then that's going to help you decide. If they say no, we don't okay. get we don't get any queries for your area, then again that's gonna help you. Okay. That's great. Now sometimes Silverdor and Situ, sometimes they'll say to you, look, we need you to have five, six units before you can list with us. But I've also heard them allow someone in with with one unit because 
they've got significant demand in that area. And so what I would do is, is just speak to them and, and see what, what they say. Okay. So what other platforms are you on? So you've mentioned Airbnb. What other um, online travel agents are you listed with? Uh, so at the moment, I've only got the one property that's listed on more than one um, site. So the first one's listed on Airbnb and Booking.com. One of the hesitations with going for more of the sites was kind of managing the calendars, and, and that kind of ties into one of my questions as to Guesty, whether this is a, a good platform to go for or do you have any recommendations before? Is, is four properties enough to start looking at a channel manager or should I hold fire with that also? No, I would suggest you definitely get on with a channel manager as soon as possible. Okay, okay. because um, if you've got a channel manager, then you can list on lots of different platforms. Okay, and then you're, you're not going to get a double booking. So Guesty, again, yeah. you need to speak to them. Sometimes they will only let you on with a certain amount of units. But you can, there's other, other ones. You know, some people use Tokeet. Some people will use uh, Kigo. We use Kigo. And you can, you can speak to the different channel managers and just get a quote from them. And they can give you a demo and tell you what they offer. And you can compare, you know, like for like in terms of price, etc. But, you know, I think that if someone has more than one unit, then they should have a channel manager. You can listen yep. all the other OTAs, so you're going to get more bookings, therefore you can raise your nightly rate, and you're not going to get a double booking, which is a nightmare, frankly, um, if you ever get a double booking. Yeah, that, I mean, that's one of the hesitations with putting it on more platforms, is that because working during the day, if I take a booking through Airbnb, I can't always go straight into the other platforms and block off my calendar, so that's been one of the hesitations uh, yeah. with going on to the more platforms. Sure, okay. So, with Airbnb, um, so I've mainly used that so far, I'm kind of on the cusp of being a super host, so I was curious, have you had any experience with what difference does that make? Is it really worth getting to that status? It doesn't make a huge difference, to be honest, whether you're a super host or not. I mean, it's rare that people won't book unless you're a super host. You know, responsiveness has to be really high with Superhost. Your reviews need to be really high with Superhost, etc. Um, so as you scale, it's difficult to maintain that and to and to keep ticking those boxes. But um, it's not something that I would worry too much about if you weren't a Superhost. It's a nice to okay. have, but it's not it's not a must have. Okay. Yeah. I, I just was curious how much effort is worth putting into that. Yeah. Again, with the reviews, it can be a case of the reason someone gives a five-star review is because of the location, and then another guest can give a four-star or three-star review because of the location, because it's in the town centre. So, yeah, unfortunately, you um, sometimes okay. reviews can just be completely unreasonable. You can highlight exactly where the property is. And then someone might give you a bad review saying it's too far away from the town. <laughs> and, and, and on the listing, you've said exactly how far away from the town it is. Um, so it's sometimes difficult to maintain you know, the top review score. Your average will be your average over time, but that, you might just drop off uh, the super host uh, level. But I wouldn't worry too much about that. Okay. Um, 
um, is, is there any recommendations for it if the, the area I'm in at the moment is not, not sort of the ideal area to scale? Is there any way you'd recommend assessing like an area around me that would be great for other than population size? Is there any kind of key points I should be looking for in targeting that area to start SA there? Um, it's literally, Sam, where is the nearest place to you that ticks the most boxes? Uh, I so, think probably Loughborough or that has a lot of university or uh, Leicester City, uh, the city centre. I, I mean, Leicester works all day long. And so the, the, the only issue is clearly how, how long does it take you to get there? We, I mean, we've got essays all over the country now. Uh, what we have to do is is have the teams in place um, in order to manage them, because clearly we don't want to be travelling um, to do a meet and agree or to uh, you know to deal with any issues at each property. So you've just got to have the the team in place there. So you're going to need cleaning. You're going to need laundry. If you're doing meet and greet, you need to have somebody doing that for you. You're going to have to have some trades on hand, electrician, plumber, people, hand, general handyman, people like that in the team in order to be able to manage remotely. Okay. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons I try to stay uh, fairly local because I know people and the, the properties are sort of five, ten minute drive away if something does need looking after. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, you, you, I mean, are you going to be able to put that team together? Uh, yeah, it's definitely something that's possible. Sure. Um, I mean, there's there's other episodes of my podcast, I don't know if you've listened to them all, where you can get that that other information on how to do that. Cleaning as well. I mean, who have you got doing your cleaning? Uh, so we've just taken on a cleaning company that's, um, that's now clean, doing all the turnovers at the property, which is, which is great. That's another reason I was looking at Guesty, so that it can... Send, send over all the notifications of when it's ready or how many towels need leaving, that kind of thing was another reason for looking uh, into guesting. Okay, great. There's a, an episode of my, my podcast that talks about how to uh, select uh, your cleaners and the sorts of things that uh, are a must for hiring cleaners and to uh, outsourcing to cleaners. So uh, I don't know if you've listened to that one. But for those other people listening to this, it's, it's definitely worth checking that one out. The only other thing is possibly if I was to work with other landlords, if I go, go direct to landlords, uh, would you suggest at this stage that I'm at working as a percentage of the, the total take or just a, a set rental fee for the month? Okay, so you're talking about whether to do rent to SA or SA management, is that right? So SA management where you yeah. are charging yeah. a percentage of turnover. Yeah, that, that's essentially what I mean. Yeah, okay. So for service accommodation management, it's, there's a lot more responsibility. Well, I think there's a lot more responsibility involved in taking somebody's property and you managing that as service accommodation. So the other, or the other way of doing it that you're already doing it is using your own properties as service accommodation and you've also got a rent to SA as service accommodation. Am I right? Yeah. So the rent to SA as service accommodation, 
you're fulfilling your uh, part of the bargain in that you are giving the, the owner a set rent and ultimately then you're taking care of the bills, etc. Um, you're paying the council tax. Um, and so the, it's, it's pretty hands-free for the owner on that side. They're just, they're just getting fixed rent and they are happy and then you're taking care of the property. Is that, is that accurate for how you're doing it? Yeah, that's exactly how it's happening at the moment. So for SA management, a lot of people think, well, SA management, that's something I'd like to get involved in because the good part of that is uh, an owner can just bring you their property furnished, good to go for serviced accommodation. If it isn't ready, um, you know, it isn't like that, then you can just say to the owner, um, you know, we can get it to that state for you, but you, you've got to pay or go away and do X, Y, and Z, and, and then once it's ready, then we'll manage it as service accommodation. So that's pretty much the model. You list it on your platform, so you can list it with Silverdoor, um, Situ, Booking.com, Airbnb, you can have your own website, you can have your own contacts with local companies and businesses, so you, you, you fill it with guests, and so let's say the turnover in a calendar month was, was uh, 2,500, and you are charging 20% management fee, then you're, you're going to get £500 um, in for that property. Um, the owner still pays the bills, so it's less admin in, in terms of the bills being paid. So they're still paying their own gas and electric, etc., etc. What you do is you, from that turnover, you take your management fee away and you also pay the other bills. So you're paying the cleaning, the laundry, the commissions to booking.com, Airbnb, and things like that. And then what's left after those deductions, you then pay to the owner. Are you with me so far, Sam? Yep, yep, I'm with you. Okay, again, this I cover this more specifically in another episode of the podcast. And the reason why I think there's more responsibility involved with this is that if there is not enough demand for serviced accommodation in that area and therefore the occupancy is going to suffer and the nightly rates are are not going to be high enough, you're not going to be able to give the owner enough money for that owner to pay his or her bills. You're fine because even if you only get £500 worth of bookings in a month, 500 turnover, you're going to take your, your fee. But then once you've paid everything out, you're not going to be paying the landlord anything. Um, and so therefore, it's not going to work. So what I always say to people is, before going into service accommodation management, you should definitely know that there is enough demand and you should definitely know that service accommodation works in that area before taking a landlord's property on. And I don't think you're there yet, Sam, in your current yeah. town because you've not done the winter. Yeah, okay. Is there a particular month you'd suggest um, getting through to before and then reassessing whether I should take on more properties? Like, is is it March, April next year? Yeah, well, well, you've got area-specific variables, um, but typically January is the quietest month for serviced accommodation. Okay. 
But the, but January, February, yes, um, you do you do get people travelling in in December to for family etc. So you can get bookings in December, but January, February are, are typically uh, the quietest, and then it and then it warms up and gets better and through to you know August, September, and then it typically starts to drop off again, and that's why I like people to have all year round demand for the winter months, i.e businesses and and trades etc people that are going to need short-term accommodation throughout the winter months does that make sense yeah so, so if i sort of make make it through to march with these current four properties and everything's worked well over the winter i should possibly look at more properties in the same yeah. area or still look at a separate area yeah i think you should um exploit or, or make the most of your areas but most you can there's obviously going to be a saturation point uh, but you will sort of know from your bookings because what ends up happening is you can cannibalize your own units um, one yeah. unit that was doing really well you take on another three and then that unit isn't doing so well but the others are, are also getting bookings etc because you're cannibalizing those um, so again, just don't scale too quickly in an area if it is an area of a, a low population. That was uh, one of my concerns that maybe I could get to a stage of being in competition with myself, essentially. One thing um, I would say is if you're getting forward bookings, then you can make a decision quite early on. So you might have, in you're in January, you're in you're in February, but you've they are forward bookings. You know, so so let's say. Um, you're getting bookings now for January and February and March and, and your calendar yep. is looking quite healthy into next year, then that's that's going to be a good sign that you could actually scale as well. Okay. Now, one, um, one of the things I do say, you have to caveat this with the fact that if you're getting too many advanced bookings, it also means that you're too cheap. <laughs> so... Um, so at your okay. current price point, if you're getting advanced bookings into next year, I and mean, again, it depends how long your calendar is open for. Some people only have their calendar open for, you know, one month, two months, three months, four months. So if you've got your calendar open well in advance, then, um, yeah, how are your advanced bookings? Uh, so I have a few bookings for a specific date uh, next year, sort of the, the download close to me, which is Big Festival. Um, I also have a book in over Christmas, people are visiting family. Um, so I do have a few bookings, obviously the, the, the months aren't super booked out, but I do have a, a few advanced bookings. Also on the one that I'm doing, Rent to SA, I, I only have the calendar open for three months. I don't know if that's a, the best practice or I just didn't want to have it open until for a full year if if that's not something whether I have the property then or whether I don't it's just on a six month agreement at first yeah sure no it's actually quite wise with rent to SA clearly this the the, the landlord once you get past um, the the fixed term rental period that landlord or owner could give you notice so you could get two months notice can you yeah. And so with some of our rent to SAs, we only have the calendar open for the next two months and we just keep moving it to the right. And so we're fine with that because if you get your price point at the right level, then you will get a lot of your bookings. So we get more than 50% of our bookings within two weeks of check-in. 
Because when people go on the online travel agents, Booking.com, Airbnb, etc., and they're looking for accommodation, the cheap ones have gone well in advance. And that's why I was saying if you're getting really advanced bookings, you're, then you're too cheap. Okay. And so actually, we don't mind too much with our rent to SAs only being uh, having our calendar open for the next two months because um, we, we don't want to be in a situation when we're getting bookings next year and then next month we get our two months notice to give the property back. It's not the end of the world if that happens because if you've got other units, then clearly you can uh, contact your guests and move them or you could refund them. You know, so some people will still have their calendars open, um, but uh, we, we made the decision not, not to um, purely because it's fine where, because if our price is, if we are keenly priced, an awful lot of our bookings are coming in within two weeks of checking anyway. So uh, one more question, how can I help? Okay, so with the Rent to SA, that's only been live for a week now. Uh, so to get to the three reviews to be published on um, Airbnb, I actually moved some guests from the, the two bed to the three bed and gave them like a, a nice offer price. And then I also opened my calendar up to accommodate one night stays just to get to that three reviews so it's public. Um, is there a best way of doing that or a best practice around that? Um, in terms of how to quickly get to your reviews? Yeah, so, yeah to quickly yeah. Uh, get okay. my reviews up. Yeah, so with, with um, Booking.com, it, it's five. So once you've got your five reviews in, then you your average review score is live on Booking.com. So you just mentioned three with Airbnb. And um, that's useful to have your average review score visible to people because an awful lot of people will not book you unless they can see your average review score. It's a little bit like buying something on, on eBay and... If, if you can't see someone's uh, reviews, then you, you don't buy from that person at eBay. And it's the same with AirbnbBooking.com. If they can't see your average or previous reviews, then they won't book you. So you're more likely to get bookings if you can see your average review score, as long as your average review score is decent. Now, yeah. with so you mentioned allowing one-night stays. Okay, that's fine um, because clearly you, you're going to get more bookings and so you're more likely to get your average reviews. We personally don't allow one-night stays because one-night stays invite, you're more likely to get a party or something like that with one-night stays. But if you want to get your average review score in and live, then that's okay. You just need to vet your guests quite quite strictly, I would suggest. Do meet and greet to make sure that uh, it's not a group of 17-year-olds turning up with lots of beer and alcohol and things. Um, and so that's fine. Another thing that you can do is, is have your price quite low um, in order to get those, those bookings in quickly. Get your five in before you then put your price back up to the normal price. And the, the really cool thing about this is you're going to get your um, value for money score is going to be brilliant, but it still stays there as high even when you put your prices back, back up to a normal rate. So it's a little bit of a, a loophole, if you like. But yeah, no, that's different ways of doing it okay that's great thanks all right sam well hopefully that was useful 
And so, yeah, if you listen to all the other episodes of the podcast as well, if you haven't already. And for those people that are watching this live, uh, hopefully you've found that live mentoring call useful as well. I'll type in the comment section the, the link to my podcast where you can get uh, lots of other information about serviced accommodation. So I'm going to finish up now, as I always do, by saying... Thanks for listening, thanks for watching, and here's to your success in serviced accommodation. Thanks for listening to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. If you have any suggestions on future content for this podcast, please message Kevin via his Facebook page, Property Soldier.